How many people have heard of the phrase, pay it forward? Have you ever heard of this? Uh, it's based on an initiative, of course, and uh, they made a movie about it, but it really was something that took place. Years ago, there was a junior high class that was challenged by their social studies teacher on a, on a Friday afternoon. He said, your homework this weekend is to go home and come up with an idea that would serve the world and make it a better place. So as you can imagine, on Monday morning, students began showing up, rolling out blueprints for robots and setting up environmental presentations and things like this. But one young man walked to the front of the classroom and he picked up a piece of chalk and he wrote the word me on the blackboard and circled it. He told his classmates, this is me. Then he took that chalk and he drew three lines to three smaller circles above himself. And he said, these are three people that I am going to serve. And the only thing that I am going to ask in return is that each one of them pay it forward by serving three others in need. Now, as simple as this sounds, it's really quite brilliant when you think about it. I'm going to look out here today and just guess. Um, I'm not very good at math and, and difficult numbers, but let's just say that there are 100 people in the room right now. There may be more than that. But let's say there's 100 people in this room. If every single one of us went out into our communities tomorrow and served three people in need, immediately 300 lives would change. Now, if those 300 people paid it forward one time, well, now you've got 900 lives. And if they paid it forward a second time, well, now you've got a community college. Almost 3,000 lives would be different because of our service. And if you do the math on this, by about the eighth or ninth time that that kindness gets paid forward, literally millions of lives begin to change, all when we do what we are called to do in scriptures anyway, and that's to simply serve. I'm in a different church almost every Sunday, and too often the same thing happens, sadly. I, I'll get there early, and um, uh, people start showing up. One of the um, elder statesmen of the congregation, one of the long-standing congregants, or um, sacred cows, uh, they're referred to sometimes, will show up, and, and too often they come to me and they say something that's very similar. They'll come up to me and they'll say, uh, Tony, our church wasn't really growing none. We weren't really reaching out and telling anybody about Jesus or nothing like that. So uh, we fired a preacher. He's gone. He weren't no good. And the whole time I hear these stories, all I can think to say is, brother, if you're not serving anyone, if you're not telling anybody about Jesus, I don't know, maybe you ought to run yourself off and not the guy down front. See, it's up to every single one of us as Christ followers to advance his message, not just by the things that we say, but by the way that we live our lives, the way that we serve, the way that we love on this world that so desperately needs it. We were called to serve. If you look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 8, I love this story. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus assembles 12 guys. He gets a team of men together from various family situations and occupations and backgrounds. And he assembles these guys together. And in, and in chapter 10, verse 8, he calls out to them. And, and I, I don't know how things are uh, down here in Jasper, but up in Westfield, um, you know, the high school football season's starting up and the whole town's excited about that. And a lot of people are into football up there. This is a little bit like, a, I envision this a little bit like a football scene. Jesus is out in the field and he says, Fellas, my 12, my dream team, let's bring it in. I want to I wanna huddle up and explain to you our strategy, our game plan. So I need everybody, 
Peter, put the fish down and come on over here. Matthew, get in here. Do we have everybody? Six, seven, eight. Where's Thomas? Up oh, there you are. Okay. I want you guys to listen very carefully. This is what we're going to do, okay? I want you guys to go. And you got to picture the disciples there with their hands in the huddle going, go where? <laughs> Wait a minute, Jesus, I, I, I left my family behind. I, I quit my job. I left everything to come follow you on this grand mission. And now you're just telling me to go? I mean, that's it? And Jesus says, yeah. See, I want you to go and serve others. I want you to lay hands on lepers. I want you to tell people of the grace that God has shown you. Fellas, freely every one of you has received. Freely you ought to give. So go and serve someone and do something. Go. And Jesus modeled that game plan all the way to the cross of Calvary for every single one of us. We were called to serve. Not to simply sit, but to serve. Years ago in the 1970s, there was a young boy growing up in Southern California. His name was Larry Walters. Now you might want to make a, a mental note of this or even write down Larry Walters because after I tell you this story, you're going to say, nah, that can't be true. He must have made that up. Larry Walters grew up in Southern California in the 1970s and as a young boy, Larry had one dream, one ambition in life. More than anything else, Larry wanted to fly airplanes. He wanted to be a pilot. The only problem was Larry was born with horrendous eyesight. You've heard of the expression, blind in one eye can't see out of the other. Larry was almost legally blind in his left eye. And despite having really good grades, he had applied to the Air Force in high school. They promptly rejected his application. And everywhere he went as a young man of 18, 19, 20 years old, just to get a local license, every time he applied, the response was the same. Larry, you're blind as a bat. Ain't nobody in their right mind putting you in the cockpit of a plane, son. Frustrated by this, Larry paced back and forth at work. He was a young man working in a warehouse there in, in Los Angeles. It was a film company. And as he was pacing one night trying to figure out how can I realize my dream, he spotted in the back corner of the warehouse some weather balloons. And a teeny tiny halfway burned out light bulb went off over Larry's head. And Larry said to himself, I have me a fine idea. <laughs> he gathered up the balloons and took them home. He tied the balloons to a lawn chair. He tied the lawn chair to his Jeep. He filled up the balloons, went in the house, got a couple sandwiches and sodas and a handgun. Larry went back out, got in the chair, <laughs> and with the help of all people, his girlfriend, they cut the ropes and Larry Waters began to fly. But as evidenced by the first half of this story, Larry was not the smartest guy on earth. See, he had miscalculated his own weight versus the number and strength of these balloons. And in less than 10 minutes time, Larry was nearly 3,000 feet in the air, drifting out into the main corridor where planes come in and out of the airport at Long Beach. This is a true story. It didn't have one scratch on it. He knocked down 41 blocks of electricity in L.A. that day. But he was okay. 
And every news crew in town descended on the scene to interview this guy. They wanted the story of the lunatic in a lawn chair. That's what they called him. And as they pieced together his story, one reporter had enough. He said, Larry, you know what? I, I hear this Hollywood story you're giving us and, and, and you know, against all odds tale that you've, you're sharing. But Larry, I have to ask you. Really? I mean, really, a lawn chair and balloons and a gun. Why would you do something so insane? And Larry Walters responded very profoundly like this, and I quote, I figured I can't just sit there. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Times. In the Gospel of John 21, Peter and Jesus have a conversation that ultimately changes the rest of Peter's life because Jesus says three little words to Peter. Now, don't ask young kids about this. I asked a bunch of first grade boys about a year ago, what were three of the last words Jesus said to his friend Peter? And this one little boy says, eat your spinach? <laughs> no, that must have been the last three words Jesus said to Popeye. But Jesus and Peter are having this conversation. You have to understand, you know, Peter and Jesus had been together three and a half years. They were close. They did ministry together. Uh, they undoubtedly ate together and built campfires and sang songs. They spent a lot of time together. They walked on the water together. Lord, you just asked me that question like 10 seconds ago. You know I love you. I love you very much. Then the Word of God tells us, that Jesus asked Peter a third time, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Peter knew Jesus' style. He knew he was getting at something. He may have even been hurt by this line of reasoning, like, you know, where are we going with this? Lord, you know all things. Surely you must know that I love you. You've asked me three times. I've told you three times that I love you. I can just imagine Jesus looking at Peter Peter, you know what? If I asked you a hundred times, you'd say it a hundred times. Saying it and living it is two different things. Then the Word of God tells us that Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you really love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. You, you say you love me. You're here. You're, you're singing the songs. You're in fellowship with us. That's great. But if you love me, feed my sheep. Church, I was born in August 1968. That's right, I'm 78 years old. And the moment that I was born, I was placed immediately into an orphanage out in Western Maryland. I was from a broken home before I ever even got here. My birth mother couldn't take care of me. She knew it. Her family wouldn't help her. So, that's how I started my life. As an uncared for orphan. But while that was taking place, a 17-year-old girl, a teenager, wrote her husband-to-be a letter. See, they had just gotten engaged to be married. Just graduated high school, got engaged, and a week later he got drafted into the U.S. Army and went off to serve in Vietnam. So she wrote him a letter. He's on the other side of the planet. And she says, I'm praying for you every day. I don't know where you are, but, but I pray you're safe. I've been praying this war would end. I pray that all of you guys will come home safely. I've been praying in the morning and night every day. 
And every time I pray, God's been laying on my heart this calling, this desire to be a mom. I think that's why he put me on this earth, is to be a mommy. And when I pray, I don't think God wants me to wait and you get back, we get married and have kids. I think God wants me to be a mom right now. That GI got that letter. He read it and he said, Say what? But then he prayed about it and he wrote her back. He said, you go find a child who has nothing. Who has no one. We'll take him in and we'll raise him together as our own. So she started looking. During the process, he got back. They got married. A couple weeks after that, they walked into the room where I was being kept. Walked right up to my crib. They picked me. <clears throat> Actually, my mom told me years later, we went in there to find a little girl. <laughs> I said, Mom, you missed it by a long shot. She said, well, I, I heard your voice. You're in that crib laughing and playing. And all I could think when I saw you was, I don't know the first thing about this child. He's not my blood. I, I don't even know his name. But I know this little boy needs a mommy. She picked me up out of that crib, 18 years old, along with her 21-year-old husband. Went home and Googled El Salvador. I could have been going to China. I didn't know where I was going. Got on a plane in Houston, Texas, and I flew down there. And I um, have to say, I got off that plane. I wasn't in El Salvador 10 minutes before I realized we're fortunate we live here. We're fortunate to be Americans. We really are. I know this place ain't perfect. No place is, but I'll guarantee you this. I've been to Ethiopia. I've been to Kenya. I've been all over the world in the last decade. 99% of the places you land, all you can think is, man, I'm, I'm grateful for my home. I wasn't in San Salvador, one of the cities there, for more than an hour when for the first time,